Welcome to the Leaders Table podcast, where policy leaders share the inside stories of their impact on the world, and we capture the secrets behind their success to help you increase yours. Education, diversity, and equity, core American issues. What are the things that I should be pushing for to inspire a movement? Let's, let's dig into that. Welcome to The Leader's Table. I'm your producer, Molly Stevens, and here on The Leader's Table, it's our job to dissect leaders in policy and education to dig into the practices, tools, tips, and actionable strategies of their success to empower you. This episode, we're joined by the Walton Family Foundation's Evaluation Unit Director, Mark Hawley, for a conversation on how philanthropic stewardship helps outcomes for kids and how bringing a lens of evaluation will benefit your work life and your personal life. I got a lot from Jason's conversation with Mark about what really matters, and I know you will too. Up next, we'd like to feature you on a special holiday edition of the Leaders Table podcast. In the spirit of giving thanks this holiday season, we're inviting you to share a one to three minute personal story about a gift you were given by a teacher, student, mentor, or hero. Please call 202-856-7614 by December 18th to record your story as a voicemail, and we'll compile these messages for a special holiday podcast. Thanks so much, and enjoy this conversation with Mark Holly at the Leader's Table. So we have with us today Mark Holly. He is Evaluation Unit Director at the Walton Family Foundation, where Mark is responsible for ensuring that the foundation staff and board of directors are provided with accurate, timely research and analysis to support strategic decision-making. Mark uh, previously was a researcher at the University of Arkansas in the Office of Education Policy. He's uh, re- a published peer-reviewed research um, and uh, has also authored a book on teacher quality. Um, before he was a teacher, he was also a school, admi- I'm sorry, after he was a teacher, he was also a school administrator and a, peer, a Peace Corps volunteer. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today on The Leader's Table. Yes, thanks for having me. So I look forward to, to spending a few minutes talking about you, your career, uh, the work that you're leading at the Walton Family Foundation. And one of the things that, that really stands out for me is um, in Walton's perspective, we talk about a $373 million investment that the Walton Fam- uh, Family Foundation contributed across its three focus areas in two, three, 2014, and more than half of that went to education. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the impact of that investment, um, how those, uh, how that significant amount of investment is uh, is driving change in the education sector, and what you are looking for in terms of success from those investments from a foundation perspective. Sure, sure. So the foundation um, is spending about, as you said, um, about. 
$200 million a year um, for the next five years uh, on on the education uh, work in, in the education program. And that's focused um, in four different initiatives. Uh, the first group is what we call our city initiatives, and um, those are place-based investment strategies uh, that in- include uh, policy work, uh, school supply work, human capital work, um, uh, community organizing, uh, and other grassroots involvement, um, and then a body of work that we call enablers, so thinking about common enrollment systems or transportation systems, things that help uh, support the healthy functioning of uh, an ecosystem of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second body of work is uh, about uh, uh, what we call spreading the movement. It, in- it includes big national organizations uh, like the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools um, or advocacy investments um, in policy organizations uh, in states where there's not a city involved. Uh, the third body of work is uh, what we call our innovation bucket, and uh, the work there. Uh, includes development of of uh, interventions and and measures of non-cognitive uh, uh, skills and traits. As an example, um, there's investments in Character Lab um, and, and and other research uh, in that body. And then finally, um, there is uh, the research and evaluation initiative, which which I help manage. Um, and there we're both evaluating directly the impact of the, the grants that we're making, um, but also funding third-party research that responds to and investigates um, aspects of the foundation's theory of change. Uh, so, you know, for example, we, we're um, funding a research project in, in Atlanta uh, with Atlanta Public Schools as they're uh, rolling out a, a school um, restart turnaround strategy um, and looking at providing uh, supports to you know, schools that have, have struggled persistently um, and a range of different interventions. And uh, so we fund, funded them to uh, pick a third-party researcher to investigate uh, both the impacts of, of those turnaround efforts but also um, uh, to dig into some of the qualitative aspects about what might be driving some of the changes, mm-hmm. and you bring so a, a the, very that's the full range. Sure, and you bring a, a personal commitment to this, in that you're a former educator and a school leader in Atlanta. Is that right? Right. So um, after college, I I was in the Peace Corps, and then after that, I taught for five years mm-hmm. uh, in Atlanta. Um, what was that experience like? It was. It was. Um, it was great. You know, I taught initially in an international school after getting back from living overseas, and um, you know that was a different setting from the one in which you know I had grown up. I went to public school all the way through um, K through 12, and then um, private private college, and then public graduate school. So most of my time has been in public schools, um, and this was in uh, a private school setting. Um, but it was great. It was a great opportunity to um, to share my love of, of the disciplines that I cared about at that time, or was still care about, um, which was um, 
uh, Latin. I was a Latin teacher and a and a and an English teacher. Um, and um, and and but what I learned, you know, is about the importance of of relationships and how that um, really is what you know. There's you only teach a little bit of content, and the rest of what being a teacher was about for me was about relationships mm-hmm. um, and the magic of of the relationship between a teacher and a student and how that can um, motivate kids to 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 do great work. You know, it's interesting. I, I often uh, describe myself as a survivor of the New York City public education system. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I say that uh, it sounds tongue-in-cheek, but it's very true. I, I saw as a kid struggling to get out of Brooklyn good teachers who really wanted to do well, who were in, it, were in a system that was just not designed to, to perform or that culturally needed a big shift. It, that experience all these years later, after a lot of experience, really forms everything that I think about um, what needs to change about, about education and, and forms my thinking about equity. I wonder what you would point to that you saw um, in, in your time in Atlanta um, and elsewhere that, that drives the decisions that you make or the, the, the recommendations you bring today to, to make big investments toward change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, something that, that guides your group and, and certainly guides our work at Walton um, is a, a commitment to creating opportunities uh, for for you know, all students, particularly low-income students, so that um, so that students aren't um, aren't tra- trapped by circumstance. And um, I, you know, my time in the Peace Corps um, was really eye-opening because you know I, I was in Eastern Europe um, in a in, in in Romania in a town about an hour south of Bucharest, and um, you know it was you know truly extreme poverty in a lot of in a lot of ways and um you know what it what it helped me realize is the privileges that i've had and um uh, you know in both being american you know um being you know uh, male white and and there's you know and growing up middle class um i had you know um i mean there were certainly things that i would change about my education um you know that informs some of how I think about the importance of school choice, um, but primarily the motivator is is understanding is having come to understand the privilege that that I have, um, having seen some of the privileges. Um, you know, in the settings where I taught, you know, th- these were school choice uh, private schools and some some very privileged uh, young people, um, and you know, then when I you know, shifted into thinking about um, district schools and starting to understand um, how just how trapped some people are and feel. Um, you know, and and getting into schools. When I first came to Walton, I to the Walton Family Foundation. I I was a program officer and I was working in New Orleans, um, and we were working on a high school redesign project there. Um, working with some of the legacy high schools, and um, at that time, you know, right after Katrina, it was really desperate um, sure. uh, in a lot of ways, and particularly 
the schools. Um, they, many of them were, were disorderly and um, just really not particularly safe places to be. Um, not just not only were they not teaching kids particularly well, they they just weren't um, always particularly safe. And and then I saw you know some alternatives. There's just some extraordinary uh, schools of choice. Well, they're all schools of choice now, but but at that time, um, uh, charter schools down there that were changing lives, saving lives, and and you know those those experiences stick with me. Um, with the bottom line being that the work here at the Walton Family Foundation um, and my experiences um, have have um, informed a perspective and a commitment to. Um, helping make sure that uh, demography isn't destiny. So, yeah, um, absolutely. That really resonates for me. I mean, we know that that place, um, zip code, um, race, ethnicity, poverty matters so much for uh, for educational attainment. Um, I wonder though, when you think about um, the amount of resources that a Walton Family Foundation and so many others that are are, are funding work in this space bring to the conversation. It, what do you think are if, if you could if you could direct all that those resources toward two things or even one thing? What would what would that be for you? Uh, um, I think uh, the two essential things are. Um, First, I do think school choice is essential because um, one size doesn't fit all in, in education. We have um, a lot of diversity in our student uh, bodies, and and <clears throat> we can't expect one institution or one type of institution mm-hmm. to serve everybody optimally. Um, and having students and families uh, have the opportunity to choose from among a range of of educational options with different pedagogies, with uh, um, uh, different focuses, um, I think is is an essential ingredient for um, uh, for success for kids. And you know, and and, and as we know, um, you know, there are you know the more privileged among us uh, are able to make those choices through various mechanisms, either through sending a kid to private school if that's the right fit, or um, you know, buying a house in a place that uh, has you know uh, traditionally better better educational offerings. So I think choice is, a, is an essential ingredient. And then you know I'll go back to um, um, you know that that magic of the relationship between a student and a teacher. And so investing in human capital um, is you know has been a, an important part of the foundation's investments and. You know, if I were, you know, um, directing them, and in some ways I help make recommendations about those, um, you know, I would say, you know, continuing to focus on on developing uh, great teachers um, would be, you know, would go hand in hand with, with school choice. So, Mark, I'd love to dig in a little bit on the day-to-day of of your work at a, at a foundation. Um, there's so many people that would love to find an opportunity in their career to go and be a funder, to work in philanthropy, to 
um, to bring resources and the ability to convene uh, leaders to to work in the way that that foundations do. So, give give us a sense. What what is your what does a typical day for look look like for you? Yeah. Um, so it's it's I've been here um, at the at the foundation for a little over eight years, and um, as I said, I started off on the program side. Um, and so, you know, as a program officer, the work is, uh, you know, each program officer has a portfolio of grantees and, you know, the geographies in which um, they work. And um, so, you know, uh, you know, a, a foundation is, you know, primarily a grant-making organization. As you said, there are other ways fi- uh, foundations bring influence to bear through convening or um, thought leadership uh, and so on. Um, but, you know, the, the, the primary lever for change is um, is grant-making. And, and, you know, that relies, you know, uh, on building relationships with grantees um, who are doing the great work out there. Um, the foundation itself is not an operating foundation. We don't run programs, um, but we um, we work in partnership with our grantee organizations um, to help help them um, uh, drive the change that that they that they're dedicated to. How do you so do that, though? That look, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to just going to ask the. Um, you know, with with many many uh, leaders and, and insightful people with lots of ideas, vying for for dollars to support the the work that they want to do at Impact Education. How do you how do you help make decisions? How do you how do you wend your way through that that maze? And how does your team do it? Right, right. Well, that's that's where um, that's where my work um, in evaluation and learning comes in. Um, uh, so we so the program officer has. Has this portfolio of existing grantees, but you know they're coming up for renewals. Uh, most of the grantees who work with us work with us over years, but you know the question is, well, you know, what's the value? What's the relative value of of this organization as opposed to 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 the alternative? Because with as many dollars as the as the foundation has to spend, um, it is limited. Uh, it is a limited resource, and every dollar that's spent here can't be spent there. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, how do we make those judgments? Um, well, you know, we make them. We don't make them as individuals. We make them um, working as a team. And and the research and evaluation department um, helps the program staff um, uh, to bring evidence to bear about past performance, about um, about the types of um, interventions that um, and their efficacy and their relative efficacy in in driving impact. So. Um, you know, if we're thinking about an organization that's been funded for, you know, for a three-year cycle, um, we work with them at the beginning of that process. We work, the, my, my team works with the program officer and the grantee to come up with a shared vision of success, to really tease out the theory of change of the grant uh, so that we know um, along the way what progress looks like. Um, and if we're making progress, and we know that as objectively as possible, and then at the end we come back in and we we help them assess the extent to which they've had had impact, and the conditions under which they've been or le- been successful or less successful, and we use those lessons both with thinking about uh, refunding that organization, but also how are they applicable applicable to 
other similar types of organizations working in other contexts. So, so that's what's exciting for me. Uh, one of the things that's really exciting for me in, in, you know, in research and evaluation is um, can we help people to make better, better informed decisions um, so that we can you know, optimally um, distribute these resources uh, for impact? Interesting. So it, it, it's, um, do you see your role at the foundation at, both in evaluating and building capacity for, for grantees or with grantees and, by exactly connecting? Right. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. We're, we're building, we're trying to build capacity of our program staff to work with grantees and to support grantees as well as they, um, in, in building their capacity to, to articulate their work, to plan, and then to, um, to measure and understand, you, you know, th- their impact. Um, you know, it goes back to, it goes back to, you know, those, you know, the, the Peter Drucker type, uh, uh, what, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure. Uh, and, and some, some thinking about, you know, bringing, um, bringing evidence to bear, uh, uh rather than just relying on our intuitions and our Absolutely. gut feelings. Absolutely. And for for prospective grantees, people that want to um, want to attract a, a Walton or or others in the space, but have not quite gotten to the point where they are, they've been successful in in achieving uh, grantee status from a major foundation. What are the the few things that you think they should do to be able to prepare to be successful to be funded? Um, we don't technically um, accept unsolicited proposals. Um, that said, um, we're always open to a conversation with somebody with a new idea. So h- how, do you, how do you do that? How do you um, have that first conversation? Um, you know, you can, you can always send, a, send a, an introductory email, um, networking and, and uh, talking with somebody who does have an existing relationship with us, um, who, can, who can introduce, introduce you. Um, um, or you know, coming up to us at a at a conference or a, a meeting and, and introducing yourself, you know, all of the program staff here. As I said, we're we're we don't we don't you know we don't think we know the answers. Um, that's why we call it a theory of change, um, and we're constantly testing this. And we're constantly looking for for better ways. Um, so, you know, new organizations um, or or people who are looking to start organizations. Um, should reach out and introduce themselves, and um, it does take, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit to to um, to build an organization and and uh, to prospect for funds. Um, but but you know, we're open to to meeting new people and, and hearing about new ideas. Absolutely. And for for those who want to do what you're doing one day, um, not get an organization funded, but, but be on the other side to be able to direct resources toward great ideas with potential for impact. What, what's the path toward that? Yeah, it, 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 it's a exciting job. It's a fun job. It's, it, it can be, uh, you know, a stressful job just like, like any other. Um, but it is a privilege and, um, and, you know, getting, um, the opportunity to do this day in and day out um, uh, can be tough. Uh, it can be tough to break into. Um, and 
what I would say the the best route for that is working at a grantee organization um, for a while, and you know building up expertise in a in, you know in our field. Um, and you don't have to be an expert in all aspects of the field, um, but you know. Um, you know, you need to know something about education and education policy to work here on the education t- program team. Um, if you're interested in research and evaluation, you know, um, you need to have a formal training in research and evaluation methods uh, and have worked in in one of those settings. You know, working at a think tank or at a policy shop or something like that um, is useful. But in any case, in either case. Um, you know, working for a grantee organization, a nonprofit, for you know for a few years is is the kind of background that you need. Um, typically, folks have you know at least a master's degree, but that's not required. Um, uh, it is for some positions, but but not others. Um, but uh, yeah, the key is the key is getting experience in our field and getting insight that you know, would help you when you get on the other side to understand the broader context of what we're trying to accomplish and to understand how organizations work so that, you know, when you're doing due diligence on an organization, you you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. And how is uh, is teaching experience valued uh, to the, by uh, by the, the philanthropic sec- sec- uh, sector, especially organizations like, like Walton that are doing so much to impact education? You mean for folks who are looking mm. to to join our team? Yep. Who might have that background? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it. We have a range of skills and backgrounds. Um, uh, it's certainly um, better to have that kind of background than not. Um, it's not required that that folks were a teacher uh, before before coming here. But um, you know, we're funding. Um, uh, you know, teaching organizations and teacher preparation uh, groups um, and pipelines. Um, so, having been a teacher uh, definitely gives you insight into into what the goal ought to be ultimately there. Um, and, um, uh, but, but as I said, you know, not everyone here has that has that background. Um, I'd say, you know, half. Roughly half of the folks on the education team have been teachers in in some regard. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your your time. I want to spend just a few minutes digging in on the tips, the tricks, the the practices, the things that help you to to hold it all together. Um, so, tell me, describe the first hour or two of your day. How do you prime yourself for success? Yeah. Um, so it, you know my 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 routines are probably you know unremarkable in some ways um but but I'm happy to share them i you know when I get up in the morning i uh, you know watch the news and as I'm getting ready and then uh find my way into the car where I listen to n p r on the way in or lately i've been um treating myself well i i might even say I'm becoming somewhat of an addict to um Listening to the Hamilton CD, um, mm. which is which is a treat. It's uh, a great score, uh, but yeah, it is great. Um, anyway, I get to work and um, um, and I, um, I I pull open the email and and uh, read the headlines um, with you know from a number of different um, 
uh, clipping services on what's happened over the over the last day um, in you know in education in in the world of education reform education policy um, and so so the my I guess the the, the central theme there is um, as I start my day I'm I'm trying to ground myself in you know what's happening beyond um, the you know the walls and the the what can be some sometimes a narrow tasks that we do during the day um, I think it's you know when you're working on policy um, you know understanding politics is is essential um, and understanding um, you know what what's going on in in the greater context is is absolutely necessary for for making good decisions so you know um you have to scan a lot of information um to stay current um and we're working in 13 different cities so you know i'm getting clippings uh from from all around so so that's that's sort of the first part and then um uh and then i i uh, prioritize the the tasks um you know i'm tied to my um outlook uh, that's probably my best app. It's not. It's not very sophisticated, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I make sure that everything that needs to get done gets on on the uh, on the calendar, and um, you know, work my way through that. Outside of Outlook, is there is there another piece of tech that you absolutely could not live without, or that that's really central to your life? Um, no. Do you have a good one that you would recommend? You know, I love Evernote personally. It is uh, it is the center of, of of all of my life in terms of uh, being able to hold on to things, capture things, keep things tagged, so that you can kind of come back to it. It's like your external brain. Um, I but I I think that what we hear most is that people say, "Well, my phone. I'm really tied to my oh, well, to, sure, to my phone. sure, no, abs- absolutely. I I was thinking there was you know you know of of the things that your phone can do. You know, we, I travel a lot in this job, um, and TripIt is extraordinary um, mm. for keeping everything absolutely uh, keeping everything together. So that that's been a great app for me. Um, you know, you just you just forward it, or it pulls directly from your email uh, the plans and creates those itineraries. So so when I'm on the road, which again I, you know, and that would be something I would say for many foundations. Um, you know, again going back to the earlier question. You know, something to consider is, you know, how comfortable are you with with travel? Um, are you in a place in your life where where you can where you can get around and and do that? And and um, uh, because because travel is an important you know part of this. Getting out into the field, meeting with people, building those relationships, you know, mm-hmm. is, is essential. But but you know, as for the the tricks, um, you know, uh, certainly the iPhone is is indispensable. It sounds like you don't check email before you get to work, though. Is that is that purposeful? Um, I I try not to. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I do I do wake up um, and take a quick glance uh, at the at the email just to see if there's anything that needs immediate attention. Mm-hmm. You know, if if um, you know if I need to reschedule something or if someone's you know tried to get in touch with me, I I typically glance at it right before bed. Um, but, um, I try not to, um, I try not to, you know, uh, get distracted with, with answering everything. 
Uh, we do have a, a cultural thing here at the at the foundation, um, which which is you know historically been the sundown rule, where you you know if someone gets gets uh, reaches out to you, ideally you know you can get back to them. You know, back in the day, it was you know before before sundown, at least responding with, "Hey, I've heard your question, and I, I um, here's the answer, or here here's the um, um, here's how I can get back to you, or when I can get back to you." Um, you know, sometimes that's not entirely practical, so we, you know, it's but but we try to be really responsive um, mm-hmm. to one another at the organization. You know, we work in a remote group; we have four different offices. Um, and people are waiting for you, you know, waiting on your your response to be able to move forward. So we try to be really responsive to one another. We try to be really responsive to our our grant partners. Um, and and um, so there's no way to avoid email um, um, altogether. But um, you know, there's if if you can um, focus and not not be pulled away by every little email coming in um, and control your time a little bit and control your your um, your focus, I, I think it can make you more more successful during the day. Yeah, email is definitely the it is the tiger to be tamed. Um, yeah, yep. like I'd like to do a whole podcast one day just talking about email management strategies. Um, Mark, I'm curious that you know as a research and evaluation guy, I wonder how you apply those ideas or those um, that thinking to your own life and career. Like, how do you when you start a year where um, you start a year, you start a month, or you you end some period of time. How do you evaluate whether or not you are moving forward in your career, or to have the impact that you're looking to have on the world, um, vis-a-vis the way that you you think about your the rest of your work? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can be um, real. Uh, you know, it can be easier to bring that sort of systematic thinking to um, evaluating others and evaluating the work of others, it can be easier to do that than it than it is to reflect on yourself and um, to have the discipline to do it, um, to, to create clear goals and strategies, and uh, and and clarity around the pathways that you need to take to to get to um, to, to move along in making you know progress. Toward, towards those ultimate goals, um, but I think I think um, you know there was there was a great um, speech that I that that I've been showing to folks. Um, we just had a team retreat and I showed it there by uh, Dean of Harvard Harvard Graduate School of Education, Jim Ryan. Have you have you seen that speech? I have not. We'd uh, love to to link to it in the notes though. Yeah, it's 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 great. It's about asking good questions, and he talks about you know how there's um, five different essential questions um, that can help um, guide a life and and guide a purposeful career. And you know the last of those is um, what really matters. You know, and and what really matters to me. And I think um, taking time to reflect on that. Um, is uh, you know is is useful. Um, you know this opportunity to talk with you um, has helped. You know is is one way to you know is, has been a has been a great uh, a chance for me to reflect on some of these things. Um, but creating time for yourself um, amidst all the demands 
to reflect on what really matters to me um, uh, is, you know, is important. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I truly enjoyed this conversation. It's, uh, it's good to hear that someone with uh, as much influence on the amount of resources that you and your team does uh, both comes to that work with education experience, with a, 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 what sounds like a very deep commitment to equity, and I think just a, a, a humility that really comes across in this conversation. I just really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thanks for the chance. Thank you so much for joining the Leaders Table, and we look forward to talking again soon. Okay. Thank you. Like this interview? Subscribe to the Leaders Table podcast on SoundCloud. You can also visit www.educationalequity.org slash Leaders Table for more resources to grow your impact. Tweet us your questions for future interviews at Lee underscore national. Thanks so much. Your host at the Leaders Table is Jason Urenz. I am your producer, Molly Stevens. And thanks to John Stevens for our music and editing. 